everybody. Welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior and IJ nephropathy warrior, and I'm dedicated to sharing the stories of those with IBD. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now let's get to it. Well, hi, everyone. My guest today is Tim Parsons, a Crohn's disease warrior, ambulance service chaplain, and author of the children's book series, Paramedic Chris, through which he aims to help develop children's reading skills and also offer support for important subjects such as anxiety, fear, and working together as a community. He's here today to share his story with IBD and how he balances life with Crohn's. Thank you so much for joining me today, Tim, and welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you for having me. It's a privilege to be here. Oh, it's an honor to have you. Thank you for joining me. So let's go ahead and get started with your IBD story. And can you start us off by sharing when and how you were first diagnosed? Sure. Um, so I was around 10 years ago, I was experiencing pain um, in my lower left side of the stomach. Um, and I was suffering also with pan- panic attacks and anxiety. And initially, my uh, doctor put it down to mental health. Um, even though I knew deep down there was something quite not right. And um, I ended up feeling extremely ill and was taken into hospital. Uh, They performed a colonoscopy, and it was there that they diagnosed uh, Crohn's disease, and the treatment's been been in place ever since. So around about 10 years ago. What kind of treatments did they get you started on? It sounds like it took a little time for that diagnosis, but once... Once they got it, what was that treatment plan to get you started? Yeah, so initially um, uh, they put me on steroid treatment, and um, I, I've never been on steroids before. So side effects such as weight gain and um, other things started to happen as a result. And then they decided to put me on a particular medication called Azacol, and then I went over with that called Azapriafen. And I found that stabilized my bells at that particular time. That's fantastic. Did that keep working for you, the combination? It, was it a combination of the azathioprine and the azacol? It did, yes. Yeah. And then I went over to the Influximax, which um, is basically an infusion. And that was around about 2017. And then fast forward to 2019, uh, which was a horrendous year for me personally, uh, sadly, my dad died in the August of that year, and at the same time, I'd taken a job on as a Baptist uh, minister, and the church I was at, a long story short, didn't support me. Uh, my dad died within a, a week of me starting at the church, and I don't hide the fact that it flared up my Crohn's, and I had anxiety attacks with that as well. And in the December, we had to leave the church, so I was forced to resign, and we lost a lot of money. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because uh, the stress, as often is the case with Crohn's disease, it it caused a flare-up. But what was quite interesting, though, is I went to to the GP because I was in agony. uh, Probably about four months after all of that had happened and we long resigned from the job. And they picked up that my bloods weren't right around the time that I was in that job. And it transpires after a, a kidney test that I had a little bit of... I can't remember the exact diagnosis, if I'm honest, but basically there was something not quite right with the kidney, uh, but they discovered it was the infusions of Crohn's disease that was causing it. And so they immediately stopped that treatment, and then my levels went up to quite an even level with the kidneys. So the kidneys kind of stabilised? 
Yep, they stabilise, and of course that was all down to the one. And I'm not, I'm not saying that the particular infusion I was on is bad, but obviously for my body, it, in one way, it caused it to be great because my stomach was stable. But in another way, it was causing me agony because when I look back, that period when my dad died and I was taking services, um, people thought I was making it up, but I was in absolute agony with my lower back. And I didn't know that it was my kidney at the time. It was only a few months later when they went from back over the blood test, they realised that was a problem. So it can be linked. And the, the biggest reason I share this is not for sympathy, but it's not to make the point that actually our physical connects us to our mental. And I, I know I've had my battles of anxiety, and I would say that's partly hand in hand with Crohn's. It does, for sure. Stress is a huge trigger. And I actually wanted to ask you about that. But after we were done with your story, just how you, how you use some of the coping mechanisms. I know you've had some tough times to get through, just a little bit of what you were sharing there. So so take me through the rest of your journey. It sounds like they took you off the infliximab because it was causing kidney issues. That's right, yeah. You were under a lot of stress, flaring up again. How did you... I'm hoping you got back into remission. After that, what was the treatments looking like at that point? Well, interestingly, I was on the maximum dose also of Azacom. Um, and uh, my uh, consultant said to me, why have you on the maximum dose? And I had been ever since really you know, first diagnosed. Uh, I said, well, I don't know. Good question. I don't honestly know why you put me on that. Um, and he immediately withdrew me off that as well. So... I felt my levels that all contributed to a better level. But I found this year, probably about four or five months ago, I had another flare-up. Um, so currently I'm on steroid treatment. But I'm on my lowest medication that I've been on in probably about 10 years. And there are certain things I'm thinking, oh, I wonder how I'll be when I come off the steroid treatment. There's the anxiety with that. But I think, you know, it goes to the stress point because it's how I manage the stress. And if I don't manage it, I'm going to go keep going into that flare-up mode. And I think anyone with Crohn's can probably relate to this, that stress is a big factor in actually a flare-up. Um, so I manage it by I writing books, because obviously I'm an author of the children's books, so I love writing, but I love reading. But also, I've, I've been doing a little bit of meditation as well, and... Uh, for me personally, we, we have actually found another church where I'm on the leadership, not Baptist church, it's an Anglican church, but it, it's given me a focus. Now, again, the reason I'm sharing that is because I think with anything like this, it's important to, whatever you believe or whatever you do, it's important to have a focus. Without that focus, you can quickly spiral downhill, both mentally and physically. Well, that gut-brain kind of stress connection you talk about is so real. And it's, I know so many people I've spoken with over the years has really felt that and felt IBD flare-ups because of it. I know myself, just last summer, we had a, a medical emergency in my family that caused me to go into a flare that I hadn't had intestinal bleeding for years, and it triggered that. And so it's just that powerful that how much of an impact stress can have on our lives. So you found some ways to cope through some of the stress and to help manage that stress through writing, meditation. Tell me a little bit more about your meditation practice. How do you got into it? What that looks like for you? Well, I got into it from a friend of mine, and um, I don't do it in a big way. I'm no expert. But the meditation, basically, I just deep breathe in and deep breathe out. 
But my big thing is I'm, I'm very creative in my brain. I, I visualise things. So for me, it's going silent, deep breathing in and deep breathing out. And I find that kind of meditation and thinking about something and focusing my mind on that and then trying to switch off from anything around me, it helps. It takes a lot of practice as well because there's quite a lot of disturbances around us. I mean, I've got three young children and a wife, so it's never quiet in our house. So I have to take that space out to be quiet. That's the important thing. And are you starting to notice some effects from even just a few moments of, of quiet and meditation every day? I do, actually. It reduces my anxiety level because, let's face it, we, we all get anxiety. And there's times where we feel it more than other times. And, um, I, I, for example, at this time, I've got to have a tooth extracted and I'm not looking forward to that. And I know my anxiety will be straight through the roof. Um, but I've got to try and not focus on that. I've got to focus more on the here and now. Um, and do that meditation rather than thinking too far ahead, which then will cause a flare-up with all the, the vicious circle of anxiety. So are there some other practices that you've found that you've that have helped with anxiety? Because I know for a lot of the people I've spoken with, anxiety comes in many forms, whether it's anxiety from the foods we're eating, from medical appointments, to just things that happen in our lives. So are there some other practices in addition to the meditation and the writing that you've found that have really helped you? Yeah, for me, I also play the guitar. So I, I find playing the guitar really helps. And going for walks, I think the fresh air. And sometimes I'll go swimming with the family. I have to say not that often, but now and again we will. I think for me as well, getting involved in the church has really helped um, because we went through a really bad experience when I was a minister of a church. To actually experience something more positive has been a really good thing for me and literally throw myself back in and enjoy being part of actually the leadership team. So with all of those techniques in the steroids, are you doing pretty good right now overall then? Overall, I'd say yes. Um, I've got my battles, obviously. At times, I think, you know, we, we always do, and particularly knowing I've got this civic stretch, and that it plays a lot on my mind. Um, uh, but I think generally, uh, I'm going into the winter months because I normally struggle with uh, I'm going in with a bit more of a positive attitude. We can get through this, and actually, let's make life fun because. I'm thinking particularly of my late dad, actually. I'm thinking he would want me to enjoy life and not keep dwelling on what's happened in the past, uh, which a lot of us as humans tend to do. And I know I do, and it drags me down. And I, I know uh, to honor my own dad's memory, I've got to stop doing that. Well, I love that attitude, and I think it's the right positive outlook to have. Absolutely. And it's easier said than done, because some days uh, it's not easy for me to do that, I must confess. I think for all of us, you know, we, we often know it's the simple steps that we know we need to take, but sometimes they're hard to actually execute and they're hard to do. So it may sound easy. <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> I mean, some days are easier than others, to be fair, but for me to say it now is quite easy, but to put it into a practice another day, it may not be. <laughs> but the important thing is to keep that mindset and to keep striving for it every single day, which is fantastic. Absolutely. So talk to me a little bit about your journey with food and how that's affected your your IBD journey over the years. Well, uh, I think growing up, I was bullied at school. So I found food a comfort and I probably still do to a certain extent. 
and it's not helped me over the years. I'm not saying it's the cause of my Crohn's disease, but it probably hasn't helped. So I've discovered in, in recent years that is a trigger for me. There's certain things that I've had to eliminate to find out what causes the problem. So I find things like onion and mushroom, they are not good for me or anything with acid. You see, with me, I think, I don't know if this is a common thing, but I struggle when I'm out not to give in to that temptation of seeing the food and that, oh, that's nice. But then I've got to start to think, is that really going to do my bell any good? Is it going to flare up the crimes? I think that's the hardest thing for so many people in life, whether or not they have a disease, is to actually, we're faced with so many amazing food options that when we leave the house and we walk down the street and we can smell a bakery or we can see a restaurant and at the grocery store, it's hard to, it's hard to make those choices every day of, of what's helpful for us and versus what we just want to indulge in at that moment. Absolutely. <laughs> I think we're the same as anywhere where you, where you live and where I live. Um, you've got all the commercial marketing side behind it that's thrown into your face all the time. Uh, one of the things that really gets to me with our young children in the supermarket is when the streets are at their eye level because that gives a temptation. Of course, and I'm thinking, what are we feeding our children? And, I, you know, they could end up with these kind of diseases. But I don't know because I've not looked into this thoroughly, but I wonder how much of, say, not just myself, but other people with this condition, I wonder how much has been caused by things that are in food. I often wonder that. Uh, because let's face it, it's, even in some fruit and veg, it can be saturated with things that we don't really, well, we shouldn't be really eating. I was really thrilled recently because I found a, a, a garden place near us where they have their own fields and everything, and they sell their own fred, their fresh fruit and veg. So for me, I find that better because I know it's not been saturated. I know conversations around food and ingredients, just like you're talking about, are such a important conversation right now that a lot of people are starting to have because I know for myself I was raised on a lot of processed foods with chemicals that are not natural and Absolutely. and a lot there's a lot of research that as our modernized world you know Crohn's IBD ulcerative colitis they're more common in our modern world of processed foods and and we're doing so much damage to our gut bacteria that whether or not it one piece of the pie, you know, everything. IBD is such a complex disease that there's so many factors that play into it that I'm sure for me, growing up on a, a diet of cereal and ramen noodles and, you know, packaged everything, probably didn't build the best microbiome, but it is what it is, right? <laughs> and interestingly, we, we were saying this, but I'd be very interested, if, I mean, maybe research has been done already, but I'd be very interested to see how many people suffer with Crohn's and colitis in the Middle East compared to what we do in the West? It would be very interesting to see the difference. A lot of my friends who are from the Middle East, they seem to be in much better health in general. They, they tend to do things more natural, which I think is better. Have you found any impact on your own journey when you're able to eat? Like you mentioned, you just found the garden that's growing fresh vegetables and produce. Have you noticed an impact on yourself when you've been able to incorporate a lot of those type of things? Yeah. Uh, interestingly, uh, that saying you are what you eat, it's actually true. I never realized till recently how true it is. So I did an experiment a while ago. I, I had a day where I was a lot of rubbish. And I wanted to see how I felt following day. 
and I felt rough. I felt mentally not in the right place. And then a few days later, I decided just to eat uh, without any saturated stuff and natural fruit and veg and just nothing in between to see how I was the day after. And I noticed a huge difference in my mental health. So I think that saying you are what you eat, probably right. I agree 100%. (laughs) I'm still trying to put into practice. (laughs) It's the hard part. If we could just do it. I know in my own journey, I've had periods of time where I've been very regimented and I've eaten only whole foods and very natural, but then life gets in the way and you kind of fall off the wagon and, and you've got to find, I think the hardest part is finding that balance of what's, what's really sustainable, and, but bringing in the good things that are good for our overall health, not just our gut health. Yeah, I think it's all around, it's physical and mental. I'm beginning to try and put this into practice and it's taken me years to do it. Um, and I can't say that I've got there with it yet, but I'm beginning to get on track with it more. Every little step forward is a step forward. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So we were talking about stress a little bit earlier, and you have a ton of hobbies, it sounds like, a lot of new practices that you've brought into your life, plus you're busy writing and running your company. So what are some of the ways that you've learned to balance all of those different activities in your life so that you can prioritize things that are important but still do the important things that we have to do. I'm still learning. <laughs> I think that's probably the best way. But the, the, the truth is, I think what I've, I've learned to do recently, so I've, I've spent hours upon hours marketing probably on social media. But what I've done, I've started to organise my life around what I'm doing. Cut off from things, say, no, but I've got a plan more. So on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and so on, got to relax. Otherwise, I'm going to constantly be doing things. So I think finding that balance has been the the key to that. I love that. Balance and it sounds like boundaries too of just knowing here's my cutoff. And that's hard. When you've had no planning or no routine and you just do things and just work, 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 and particularly with social media the way it is, uh, it's an addiction. But, of course, to get your word out there, we're competing in such a big market. I look at my sales figures and I think – all that effort, is, is it really worth it? <laughs> There's so many things that distract us. It's social media. We get out there to promote ourselves, the work we're doing. And just like you say, all of a sudden half a day is gone because it's yep. sucked everything out of us. <laughs> it, it does. It really does. And, and that has an effect on you mentally, physically, as well as your family as well, and friends. Uh, and, I, and then you find you're not connecting with the real world. And I found this. Um, So I've had to almost reconnect to switch off from all that. That's a great point. What are some of the things you do to kind of reconnect? Spend time with the family. Um, Sunday was probably the first time in ages I've been with the family and we got the Monopoly board out and I said, phone's off. And we sat down just as a family and uh, it was lovely. And then we sat down and watched a movie afterwards. So that's basically the way I get around it. I love that. It reminds me of my days growing up. Obviously, yeah. there were cell phones were not a thing grow, growing up for me too, us. Me but, too, me too. <laughs> but wonderful memories of playing games with my families and sitting together and, and watching a movie. Yeah. So I love that. I always say to our children, the world's totally changed to when I was growing up. Um, we didn't have these phones and uh, I used to play and build tree houses and run around. We lived in a, my dad was also a minister and uh, 
we, we lived in a church that was next, and so our house was next to the church. It was a big open field, so we would end up playing football and doing all sorts of things outside. And now you don't see it as much. You really don't, and it's such a shame. It's it's probably another contributing factor of just our overall health these days of just not spending as much time outdoors, running around, playing in the dirt. <laughs> yeah, I, I think even for myself, I realize how far of my own journey I've come behind because I've not re-engaged in those basic things. I think about it even in my own journey, too. It was just recently, I've, it's a very simple thing, but I've just started watering my lawn and kind of yeah. trying to fix the the patches that are dying, but, you know, I'm getting in there, getting my hands dirty and trying well to propagate some of the plants that have died recently. So wow. I feel like I'm kind of getting back into, Excellent. You know, back to nature. Does that make you feel better? <laughs> it does. I like, you know, I, I get outside and uh, just some of the things we were talking about earlier, get outside and just yeah. feel that sunshine. We're out of the, the house where sometimes there's few windows depending on the room we're in and get outside and just breathe in the air. I agree. I think we all need to do that. So let's talk about your books for a little bit. Okay, yeah. So a few years ago, you started writing children's books, and I'd read online that you did so with the aim for the book to help fund a retreat center. So can you talk about your books and what that idea for the retreat center was? Yeah, sure. Um, So um, I worked for the ambulance service for six years as as a frontline so I attended a, a lot of calls with them and uh, went on shifts with them. So you can imagine some of the things I've seen have been things that will probably live with me for the rest of my life. Uh, but we'll go back to the beginning here. Uh, my first uh, shift was with a paramedic for Chris. And um, we did a night shift together. And um, he started talking to me about his daughter, about how she'd battled with cancer from a young age. And she'd just written a book herself about her own health. And, and that got me thinking. And then on the way to this station, uh, I was sitting in the ambulance. I thought, wait a minute, you've got Fireman Sam, but what have we got for the ambulance service? And then it's from there I started writing stories. Um, I didn't realise I was going to go and publish four books. So that I, I ended up publishing one within six months that was paramedic brief. That was based upon a hope school that we'd been through. And I wanted to get that message out to children. Uh, of the consequences of a hope for, not just on one person, but on other people as well. And wherever you are in the world, whether it's America, England, it's the same thing. It has a consequence. So I wanted to get that message out. And then in my second, uh, I volunteered for a Christmas Day shift, and um, we went to a high-rise flat, and uh, this particular patient had lost his wife a few weeks before. Uh, and he didn't have anything in the cupboard. He was all on his own. It, it was heartbreaking to see it, uh, particularly being Christmas Day. And so we were able to actually go to the local shop, even on Christmas Day, and quickly get him something in the cupboard. And then we were able to give him to give him for the right services uh, that actually helped him rebuild his life. So I based paramedic Chris a helping hand around that particular call. But obviously, they're all in fiction-based stories. And then that third book, uh, a paramedic, Chris, a sorry bully, again, where I was bullied at school and, and I'm bullied out of a job as an adult, I wanted to put it into a, a children's story that bullying has uh, consequences on not just one person, but many other people as well. Um, and if we can stop bullying and reduce it, it I think it is, we're going in the right direction. 
and then my latest book, which is totally different, Paramedic Chris and the Runaway Chicken, which everyone laughs at the title about. I, I wrote that during the pandemic, and uh, particularly with a lot of fear and anxiety. Uh, I've written it around that in a humorous way, but also in a very, very real way that can touch onto that subject of actually anxiety and fear that we should be supporting one another. So that, that's a little introduction to me. I love all those messages. Thank you, thank you. But going back to the original vision, which you asked me about there, many times I've suffered with mental health on and off over the years. I don't hide behind that. And as we've said earlier, it's partly probably linked with Crohn's disease. And I've been to patients where you've taken them to the hospital and then they're discharged a few hours later. There's not great services, there's, there's lack of services, that's the problem. And then they've got nowhere to go afterwards. And in, in, in the worst cases, I have known one or two cases where people have ended up taking their lives. And I got thinking, we need to help with this more. There needs to be better services. And I thought, well, if the books ever did take off, I'm talking in big, big way, I'd love to either help an existing centre or open one up where people could get referred to straight away and get immediate support. But of course, I'd need to sell absolute millions to do that, I guess. Um, and let me tell you this, I'm nowhere near that. <laughs> um, I wish, but the vision's still there. It's still stirred in me. Uh, my sales, I can't say are that high, really, in terms of going towards the ultimate vision and dream that I've got. But it could happen one day. It very well could. And I love the vision and I love the mission behind it. And it's Thank you. such a powerful message. I think as well, and I'm going to do a bit of plucking with it because it helps with that. Um, I'm particularly focusing on my audio. So the books are available in free format, ebook, paperback and audio. But with the audio book, I'm focusing on that because if you've got an Audible account or you sign up for a file, they're free. But for some reason, I don't know how it works, but I still get paid for them. Um, so my hope is that that then will build up the capital to help with this vision. Um, and even then, uh, I've noticed when people pay for the audio, they're a lot cheaper than the paperback. But I've got a new publisher with the latest of this year. Um, and they're, they're really great because they also run a, a 90-day course for any, on a 100-day course, sorry, uh, for anyone who wants to publish a book where you're coached through that process and then you get to publish your dream goal of a book at the end of that as well. And I'm a great supporter for that. What a wonderful program. Are you working on a new book right now? The The Paramedic Chris and the Runaway Chicken was the most recent published. That's I, right. I yeah. So what are you working? Can you say what you're working on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got um, loads of ideas from John. Just because I'm not with the ambulance, it doesn't make any difference. Really, because I've been on enough jobs and I've got some lifelong friends. In fact, one of the paramedics is my best friend anyway. So I will never run out of ideas because I'll just go to them. But I have got one in the, in my mind. And, and, and particularly, um, I thought of the, what's going on in the Middle East at the moment. And I want to do some kind of story. And how I'm going to do it, I don't know at the moment, but around how actually we should be living in peace and harmony, that actually we shouldn't be killing each other and pushing each other away. We should be actually pulling together. I want to get this message out there, but of course... It does come down to the fact, of, if I'm honest, for costs, because each book has obviously cost quite a bit of money to get published as well. So I've obviously got to recoup the costs from the other ones first. 
and then go on to the next ones as well. Well, that's a beautiful message, and I can't wait until you're able to put it together and to have it out and, and to see that oh, story you. and everything that comes next. Thank you. It is exciting. I think, I think throughout the whole thing, there is this theme of pulling together and supporting one another. And, and I'm a great believer, and I say this a lot on live videos I do online, um, that actually I'm a great believer in starting from the grassroots. And I look at our children who are 13, 8 and 4, and I think to myself, if we don't get this right now, it's going to cause problems in the future. And um, it's exactly the same with the books. If we get that message out there, that if we look at the news, everything else, all the negative things that are around us, it's not great. But actually, if we get that positive out there of what happens when you work together, it's going to change society in the long term. Walls uh, and things don't. I don't believe they do. I think it's reconciliation, forgiveness, and actually coming together that actually creates it. Now, this is an interesting story here, which is a bit off the of what we've been talking about, but the secretary of my dad's church before he retired, he was a prisoner of war in Japan in the Second World War, and uh, he founded an organisation called Agape, and what that did is it brought reconciliation with his captors in, in Japan, and some of the things they did to him and his, his, his colleagues were all and William, who our oldest son is named after, actually, William had no revenge, I guess, in his body. He just sought forgiveness. Some of the stories, I wouldn't want to say on air, that, that they were horrendous, some of the stories he has told me. And, and the example he led of how to forgive, it drew people to him. And I had the privilege of taking his funeral uh, a few years ago, with my own dad, actually. And it was an honour, because... To take the funeral of someone who actually forgives and wants to put that harmony together was actually a real privilege and a joy for me to do. Uh, and it wasn't a joy in the sense because he's gone, but it was an honour. And I think that's, in my own theme, it's how I've led my life so far. I've looked at his example, and at many other people's, including my late dad as well, and I thought, what is the difference to these people? What? Why do people get attracted to them and, and, and what is it? Uh, and it is just that common theme of love and, and, and coming together. And that was the same with the paramedics and the ambulance service as well. Uh, what is it that draws people to these people? And, and the main reason is, is because they're caring. Uh, they wouldn't be doing that job if they weren't. Very inspiring messages. Thank you. Thank you. So have you always had a passion for writing or is this something that you developed later in life? What got you started writing? You're going to laugh. Sorry, I had to laugh there because uh, my wife loves to remind me, and I found it recently in my uh, summer. I wrote a book when I was probably about four or five years old based upon the Burglar Bill series. And it's comical looking at it now, but uh, I guess my passion was then. I was just, I used to draw like cartoons as well and then put them into little books. But I never envisioned myself as an author, if I'm honest, never. And I also um, last year published a book, an adult book in memory of my dad as well. So it, it, I, if you'd said I published five books, I'd have laughed. It's always been in you then. <laughs> I think it has, and I've not realised it until I've actually done it. <laughs> I had the confidence. And, and, and that's the thing with my publisher, Publish You. But they've got this whole thing of everyone's got a book in them. And I, I agree with it. You've just got to have the confidence to do it. That's all. 
So tell me, as you've gone through your IBD journey, everything in life, what has inspired you to share your story with others? I think it's my faith. I think that that, that does play a big part. I, I'm a great believer in God and Jesus, and, and I don't hide behind that. But I think it's my own dad as well. And my mum, of course, I don't want to leave her out. But I was very close to my dad, and he was an inspiration to me. And his example has always been something that's been quite strong to me. So sometimes I'd see how he'd react to certain situations growing up, and he was very calm most of the time. And, uh, and I tried to mirror that an inspiration. And, of course, you've got people like the secretary as well who, who's been an inspiration. And, and, of course, in recent years, you've got the paramedics and, and the medical staff and the staff that have looked after me with Crohn's disease as well. Amazing people out there. Absolutely amazing. So what's been the most rewarding or even surprising thing for you about sharing your IBD journey? I think it's where other people open up. I know I've been on, say, ambulance jobs and somebody else has been suffering and and I come and say, I understand. There's a lot of people can do that, so I understand and actually they're just saying it. But I can actually share my own story to say, actually, yes, I do understand what you're going through. And I think that brings a bit of comfort. It does to me when I'm in distress. It's always nice to know we're not alone in the struggles that we face and the, the journeys that we're going through, even if they don't match up exactly the same. But just knowing that we're not alone, that we're all kind of fighting these things together, Absolutely. makes a difference. Yeah, and that is going back to my books, the whole thing of it. And I'm guessing it's because of the IBD and the uh, Crohn's. It's all probably been embedded to me to think that way. I would think so. What is the final message or the biggest piece of advice you would like to share with the listeners, either those those listeners who have IBD or maybe someone who has a family member with IBD? I think it's not to give up. That's the first thing, especially when you're drained. Um, you just want to give up and think, that's it, you know, what's the point anymore? And uh, I've been there, I know how that feels, and, and, and it drags you down and you think there's no end to this and what's the point? You know, these are common things that I can sympathise with. And I'd say, don't. Try and be positive. There is a future. You will get through what you're going through. And the support's there. Don't suffer on your own. Always seek for help, whether that's if you're struggling mentally with it or physically. Or you both, if they can go hand in hand, as we said earlier. Um, And I think it's just reaching out and being honest. The perfect message. Thank so you. now for the most important part, if people want to follow you, learn more about your journey, learn more about your books, purchase your books, where can they find you online? Yeah, I, I think the first thing would be to go to my website, which is uh, timparsons.co.uk. Alternatively, sometimes if say the website's down, the best thing is to go to Amazon and type Paramedic Chris, and then you can pick up all the four books from there. But certainly the website would be the best one. Uh, and on the home page, there's a link to the audio book paperback and the ebook as well. Uh, and also on there, you'll see a, a video of me where I was on BBC Songs of Praise, first time I'd ever been on television, and it was quite daunting. Um, and they were following us around where we live here in Medway. So you'll be able to see a clip of me on there. And I believe there's also a picture on there, or there was, in 2018 in Westminster in London, uh, I received an award uh, for volunteer uh, work with the ambulance service. 
and that actually was the last thing my dad ever attended before he died so it's a special thing in my heart because I got an award for that and um, one of the ex-colleagues I worked with took me to one side when my dad died and uh, I, I, he said I'm not making this up because I know you think I am or will think I am he said uh, your dad took me to one side of that event and said he's very proud of you and this is the proudest day of his life. So I've got that that lives with me. It's a positive thing when I think about my dad and particularly when I uh, get those moments of feeling down uh, and, and then part of the grief process that we all go through and struggle with at times. I go back to that memory. So there's a little bit on there as well about that. As well. How lovely. What a great memory. Oh, it is. It is a memory when, you know, because grief is like, oh, it's different for everyone. And I can't deny it. I've struggled with it. I've, uh, in the ambulance service, been dead bodies. I've supported families as well. But it wasn't until I, I lost my own death that I realised the, the depth of pain that comes with it. And I've never experienced such pain like this before. Uh, I've seen people before experience it, but until you've been through that experience, it's I don't know, it's very difficult to describe and it's, it's a very a journey that I suppose we're all going to face at some point in life um, and it's how we navigate it. What are some things that have helped you through that journey in case there's somebody else out there listening, finding themselves in the same spot? Um, talking, I think, has been a big thing for me, being open and honest. And uh, I'm quite open and honest, so I say how I feel. And I think for me, I try to think of the positive. I think that's the first thing I try to do. And I try to blank out the, 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 the negative the last few weeks of him dying. And the, well, I call it PTSD, and that is what I through counselling was diagnosed with. And the way I try to do it is to blank it out by thinking of something positive and to remember that good time. But I also light a candle once a year. I go to a local cathedral and like that in his memory as well. And to have a good cry. Again, I know I'm not going to be sexist or anything here, but us men, I don't think we feel we can do that enough. And I find a hug and a cry, it really it helps me. And I never feel bad to do that. Uh, if you want to cry, it's letting it out. I know when I've taken funerals myself, I've always said at the start of a service, Please, if you want to cry, share your emotions, do it, because it's the sign of love. It's the sign of love between you and your loved one. And again, I've preached it many times, but until it actually happened to me, I didn't realise how hard it hit home. What an important message, too, of just you saying that, you know, a lot of men will hold in those emotions or, or not talk about things or not cry, but we're all human and we all feel those emotions and we have to emote. Yeah, and we still, I don't know where you live, where is the case there, but there's still a stigma here. I mean, when I, I don't want to bring back from the job what happened when I was a student, Baptist minister, but I was punched on the chest by one particular person and told to get over my dad's death. So there's still that, I know it was one person, and, and I would say if anyone's experiencing that, maybe not the physical with that, but if they're experiencing that guilt, or should I or shouldn't I, just do it. If you want to cry, do it. Don't worry about what other people think and say, because that's what I've had to learn. And it's a very, very easy thing for me to say. And another thing, again, to put into practice. But it's an important lesson, and it's such an important message to share. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely.
And I hope my own experience has helped others, and we all help them. I, I'm, I don't see myself as anything other than a normal person who's has happened to write four books from my experience. And I had the privilege of doing six years with the ambulance service, which um, helped me with my own Crohn's disease with the support as well I had from the paramedics. And I think I learned a lot from that time as well. That will be with me for the rest of my life. Now, is paramedic Chris ever going to have a call where he goes out on an IBD an IBD call? I think he could do. <laughs> I think he could do. I'm thinking of putting one together as a helicopter as well to make it more exciting. Did you see it in things like Fireman Sam and things? I could combine IBD because actually it's something real to me um, and, and, and something I can actually put my whole heart into, I guess, because it's something that I know. I think I've avoided it so far because I didn't want to make it all about me. I wanted to make it a different message, really. Um uh, but I can do it without focusing it on me, I guess. I think it'd be a good one. I'd, I'd love to see that. <laughs> yeah, and I think actually things like Crohn's and Colitis, the organisation, um, a huge organisation uh, in the UK, um, I think they'd be delighted to be based on it. For sure. And also, thinking in my brain already, while you've said that, my brain starts to think, and uh, you could even start putting things into it, like food habits, children and start to think about the right things to eat and the right thing, and the bad things to eat that are perhaps going to help them not have problems with their stomachs as they get older. So it's making my brain go through already. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We're watching the writing process right here. You've got a whole outline. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Now I've got to write another book. <laughs> <laughs> well, just whip it right up, right? That's how it works. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's any... Um, Big publishers that are listening to this, uh, because of the costs, if you want to take on another book that get a lot of attention, uh, I'm quite happy to talk to you. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I'd love to see Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Me too. <laughs> so before we wrap up, is there any last thing that I didn't ask you about that you wanted to share or anything you wanted to ask me? I think it was to say thank you for, for, for inviting me here. Uh, and, and also just, I just want to wonder a little bit more about yourself. I mean, I've said a lot about me, but I was just wondering more about yourself as well and yeah, what you well, do. <laughs> my, my journey in a nutshell, because I love to make the show about my guests, but uh, I was diagnosed a little over 20 years ago with Crohn's. My first symptoms started 20 years ago, back in 2003. And then I didn't get diagnosed for a long time because I didn't want to talk about it. So I hid the intestinal bleeding and the bloating, like I hid everything. And I struggled with diet for a long time, trying to figure out what would work, what would what I could eat that didn't bother me. And finally, I got a diagnosis around 2009 officially. And I tried some uh, azathioprine, imuran, the immunosuppressant. Um, I was on Humira for a little while. And then I never felt 100% good, but, you know, I just kind of struggled through the symptoms. And so that's when I did a lot of research, like we were talking about food earlier. I did a lot of research into raw milk and organic foods, and I ate everything very strict. I was fermenting my own sauerkraut, so a lot of probiotics. So I, I did a very old-fashioned diet of fermented foods and organic produce and uh, grass-fed meats and raw milk. And I, it, I think it really reset my gut microbiome because I did it for a few years. I did some intermittent fasting, which I think gave my gut 
time to rest and keep inflammation down. So um, I've now gone away from that diet because it wasn't really sustainable. But I've been in remission for, I think, about five years off medication, in remission, and, and doing good. So... So we'll see, knock on wood, except for the stressful summer last year that brought Crohn's right back. Um, so hopefully I don't have the same amount of the stress again. But it's uh, it's been a journey. It's It's been a, a lot of learning, a lot of learning curves. And it's been really, in my own journey, it's been really helpful for me to hear the stories of other people with IBD. Um, early on, I scoured the internet for just blog posts and people sharing what they did. And so eventually, that's when I felt compelled to start a podcast because I love audio. I went to school for broadcast journalism. I love asking questions. <laughs> so finally, it just felt like a very natural thing to do. And I've been loving it ever since. I've met some incredible people, yourself included, of, throughout this journey. And I did write my own book. I finally, it's a short book, but I did finally... Oh, yeah put my story into a very short book as well. And, but your sales have a purpose behind them. Like we've got to get this retreat center built. So we need your book to, to sell the Absolutely. million copies. <laughs> we need people to buy who are listening. <laughs> Maybe we can help share it. And with yours as well. Like, you, to books. <laughs> you won't just be helping me. You'll be helping many people. I'm a great believer <laughs> in that. I, I mean, we, we all obviously have a living to earn and we all need income. And I'm one of these that uh, someone said to me uh, many years ago, what would you do if you won a million pounds? And I, of course, I said, well, I'd pay off my mortgage. Of course I would. Who wouldn't? Um, uh, but I said, I think I'd look beyond that to see where I could help others. Um, uh, and I know for me, my, my wife works at the local primary school and, uh, and I, I help with the food bank doing the COVID pandemic. Uh, we've both seen in our own different jobs the effects of the pandemic on families with food and poverty and everything else. And I'd love to do something that just bridges that gap. So we've got something in Medway called Gillingham Street Angels, and the, the, the guy who runs that brilliant, and uh, uh, he's, he's actually a friend actually. And he, he runs a lot of homeless things, and, and, and our church, he started to do a meal once a week for people that can't afford food or meals to feed their families and uh, for me if I got that kind of money I'd be looking to put it into something like that because I think you know like with the retreat centre uh, we can become greedy can't we in life and I think you've got to, you've got to have that motive but I'm not in that position yet that I've had that and I may not ever be but um, I think you know if someone said if you ever were what would you do and I think I wouldn't want to be greedy um, I think that's wonderful. And it's truly, it's people like you that have a servant's heart that makes this world a better place and will make it better for the next generations. And we need that so much. I don't feel perfect. Sometimes even as a dad, I, I, I get it wrong and question myself. Sometimes have I done this right? Am I doing that right? And I, I'm not perfect. Uh, I'm just a normal human and get things wrong probably every day <laughs> i think we all do <laughs> absolutely and i never want to get i think contrary to what people might say online um i actually i can get quite embarrassed at times if i'm embarrassed and I, I, i've been like even when i had that award at westminster in london i was quite embarrassed that it was it was also being live channeled to a london radio station and uh, 
there was people there as well, of course, watching it on the media, and uh, I was just embarrassed taking it all in. And uh, so people might say, you liked all the glory. I'm like, no, I did not. Um, <laughs> uh, and when I look at myself from the, when I was on television, uh, I cringe and I watch myself and I hate listening to my voice. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of us feel that way, and I think it's truly the people who want to serve others always shy away from that limelight they because they're not doing it for that they're doing it for the benefit of others so yeah and there's been many people in my life that like the william as i say the secretary who there was a lot of behind the scenes stuff who left a legacy for other people not just myself but sorry about that noise it's our son (laughs) (laughs) that's okay Well, thank you so much for all of the service work that you're doing, for your stories that you're writing with paramedic Chris, and for sharing your story and just overall being an amazing, good human. Thank you so much for joining me today and being a part of this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you love these interviews and want to support the podcast, visit my website at Crohn'sFitnessFood.com where you can browse my featured products page to shop the companies I love and support. Make a donation using the Buy Me a Coffee link to send a little love. Or grab a copy of my book and IBD story, Crohn's Fitness Food and My Rocky Road to Health. If you have an IBD story that you want to share, send me an email at story at Crohn'sFitnessFood.com. And always remember, be strong, be grateful, and keep going.